My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others, and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructions. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for the strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Let's pray. Father, we need your help this morning. This is awkward. Uh, this, this subject is not always an easy one to talk about. And more than that, it is often painful and difficult. And so we need your help. We, we come trusting that what we've heard from you, it is, it is good. That these are words that give, that give life and that lead us towards life. Help us to trust that. Give us the humility to receive these words, to receive life from them, to be changed by them. That will happen as your Spirit does His promised work, and so we ask for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, this week, for my daughter's birthday, I took her out for beignets at Couches in the north side of town. And as we were sitting and talking and eating, uh, she looked over my shoulder, and her eyes lit up, and she said, wow. And I realized that she could see a television behind me that was set to ESPN. And it was SportsCenter doing their top ten plays of the day. And they were showing one of those miraculous home run stealing catches, where the outfielder leaps and extends his glove and barely snags the ball before it goes over the back fence. And it made me wonder, would that catch be as spectacular if the fence wasn't there? If that fence wasn't there, 
All of the physical ability would still be there, but it would not wow us in the same way. Because without limits, any sport loses its excitement. A good game is play within structure. It's the same for the arts. Whether it's the limit of a canvas or a type of material or or the limit of human ability, limits provide the opportunity for creativity. Beauty often sits at that intersection of freedom and form. I think that's a pretty good summary of what the Bible has to say about sex. It is play within structure. It is the intersection of freedom and form. It is boundaries that create the possibility of beauty. In the, second, in the seventh commandment, God says a very clear no towards sexuality. But I had us, one of the main reasons I had us read from Proverbs 5 is so that we could hear God's very clear yes towards sexuality as well. But that creates tension. It, it is hard to hold no and yes together. We struggle with that. And so I want us this morning, as we consider God's command, as we consider the wisdom in this chapter, I want to consider both sides. The boundary of sex and the beauty of sex. First of all, the boundary. And stated very clearly, the boundary is marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman. That is the boundary. There's the limit. There's the structure. And sexual activity should be limited to that particular relationship. You're a church. You're listening to a Christian preacher. You probably are not surprised to hear me say that. Whether you agree or not, you're probably not surprised to hear that coming out of my mouth. So, but just for a minute, minute, I want think with me about the message of that boundary. What does that structure communicate? You see, God could have chosen any number of Hebrew words to describe sexual behavior in the seventh commandment. But he chooses the word that specifically speaks to the violation of the marriage vows. Why? Well, God is saying that sex is not an individual, isolated appetite. It is about the creation and promotion of community. It is not about a person trying to meet his or her own needs. It is about a husband and a wife deepening the covenant bond, the covenant union between them. It is the best team-building exercise ever invented. See, in the marriage covenant, what, what is the marriage covenant? It is, I am yours, you are mine, so profoundly that two become one. Sex is the expression. It is the ongoing joyful renewal. It is the ongoing pleasurable enactment 
of that vow. And then secondarily, the growth of the family through children. That is the meaning, that is the message of the boundary that God puts around human sexuality. Now, for people in Tallahassee, Florida, who reject Christianity or have serious problems with Christianity, many of our friends, for them, what I just said is at the top of the list of reasons why they reject the Christian faith. The limits that the Bible places on sexuality is the most objectionable element of our faith to modern Western culture. Not the majority of other cultures around the world, but modern Western culture. Why? Well, because the dominant cultural view wants to reduce sex to an appetite. Wants to reduce sex to an opportunity for a person to find self-fulfillment or self-expression. Where a person can meet his or her own needs within an ever-shifting range of options. And everyone has that right. But if you listen closely, you'll hear doubts about that view. If you listen closely, especially to the stories and to the songs, you'll hear some concerns about that view. So, for instance, uh, British pop singer Sam Smith released a song, I think it was last year's very popular, called Stay With Me. And it's a song after a one-night stand. Right? One of the ultimate expressions of sex is as just simply an appetite. And he's singing in response to this experience, and you can hear the discomfort, the dissatisfaction with sex simply as an appetite. There is in that song a painful longing for sex to mean something more. A deeper attachment. A more holistic and secure intimacy. And I believe the reason that longing is there is because God made sex to mean something more. God made it to create that longing for something more, that deeper attachment, that more secure loyalty. And when we detach sexual activity from marriage, from God's design for marriage, it's like taking a puzzle piece and trying to make it the whole puzzle. It doesn't work, and it loses its potency. It loses It's meaning. But, if we're honest, and we have to be, naming and describing the message of this boundary that God has placed around human sexuality does not make faithfulness to that boundary easy. It's not easy. Proverbs 5 makes that very clear. It demonstrates the very strong, temporary allure of stepping outside of that structure. It's not easy. But it raises the basic question of trust. 
Do you trust the one who built the fence? Because listen, there's always a boundary around sexuality. Even the most permissive culture has lines, fences, behaviors that it would consider immoral and wrong. So the question is, will you trust those who want to reduce sex to an appetite, or will you trust the one who upholds sex as an expression of self-giving covenant commitment? But why would we trust him? Why would we trust God's boundary? Right? Frankly, the less restrictive options are more attractive. If we're honest, wouldn't we prefer the less restrictive option? So why would we trust God's boundary? Well, as I said earlier, I think we can trust God's boundary because God doesn't only say no. And we need to consider not only the boundary of sex, but the beauty of sex. As we hear God proclaiming from Mount Sinai, no adultery, we also need to hear Him speaking in Proverbs 5 and in many other places in the Bible, speaking a resounding yes to delight, to pleasure, to the enjoyment of sexuality. God speaks a resounding yes so that there should be freedom in form. There should be play within this structure that he has built. You know there's a whole book of the Bible about this, right? In the Song of Solomon? A whole book of the Bible. So think about this. The doctrine of the Trinity. Pretty, pretty basic doctrine to the Christian of faith. We have to piece together from fragments here and there in Scripture. But there is an entire book of the Bible devoted to the topic of pleasure, of delight within sexual life. A pleasure that should be so overwhelming, Proverbs 5 says, it should be like being drunk. Be intoxicated with your spouse. You hear God's resounding yes? But now, that raises a whole mess of issues for us. If you're unmarried, does that mean you get only the boundary and none of the beauty? For those who are married, what about disappointment? What about that Proverbs sounds nice, but so often isn't reality? What about the disappointment and the conflict that arises around sex within marriage? Which anyone knows who's been married more than five minutes, right? And then for all of us, what about sexual sin? 
What about our failure to keep the seventh commandment? Jesus says in Matthew 5, you lusted after someone else in your heart. You've committed adultery. You've broken this commandment. What about the guilt that's there for us? What about not only the sin that we have done, but the sin that has been done against us? What about how how we have been sexually mistreated? (coughs) Have we we irrevocably lost the beauty of sex? Well, it's very interesting in the book of Proverbs. These two women that we read about in in Proverbs chapter 5, the adulteress and the wife, in this book they become more than literal women. They become metaphors. They become images for folly and wisdom. The rebellious path towards death and God's path towards life. So that an overarching message of the book of Proverbs is a romantic one. It is, don't be seduced by folly. Be seduced, romanced by wisdom. And the essence of wisdom is what? It's the fear of God. So can you see here an overlap between sexual desire and how we relate to God? And that's not just in Proverbs. That is all over the Bible. If you're doing community Bible reading with us, a week ago Friday we read Ezekiel 16 full of sexual imagery, explicit sexual imagery to describe God and His people. Their rejection of Him through idolatry compared with adultery, the profound betrayal of adultery. His love for them described as the desire of a groom for His bride. And that is not platonic desire. It's not the desire just of the wedding ceremony. It's the desire of what comes later. Sex, sexual activity should be limited to the covenant relationship of marriage. But the beauty and power of sex images another covenant relationship. The covenant relationship between God and His people. A covenant relationship that we enter by faith in Jesus, who is also described as a groom desiring his bride, those of us who belong to him. I mentioned the song a little bit earlier by Sam Smith. And it's interesting in that song, as he enters into the chorus and he sings, Stay with me, oh, won't you stay with me? He's joined by what sounds like a gospel choir, a church choir. And not only that, in the the video for the song, the images start at a house in a bedroom, but they end at a church. He's standing there singing, stay with me, oh won't you stay with me, with a choir at a church. It's the impulse 
that something about our sexual desire is also about our desire for a connection to transcendence, to the divine, to God himself. Another musician named Joe Henry sings in a recent song, He who cannot be seduced cannot be saved. Very biblical lyric. The joyful communion and intimacy of sex within marriage is only a small hint of the joyful communion and intimacy between Christ and His people. So the beauty of sex is for us all. Because that more fundamental desire that underlies our sexual desire, the desire to love and be loved, the desire to desire and be desired, leads us beyond sex to the abundant delight of God in us. Through Jesus. So the beauty is for us all. The beauty of sex is for the lonely and the disappointed and the guilty and the grieving. Not that if you live by faith in Jesus, your desire and disappointments are just going to kind of float away on the cloud. No, the message of the gospel about Jesus is that it creates a place for you to bring your longings, for you to bring your shame. And in the love that He reveals through His life, through His death, through His resurrection, in that love, in that delight, in that desire, we begin to know forgiveness and comfort and healing, and a profound, intimate communion. And we should find that not only in Jesus, but also in the community that Jesus' love has created. Center point, we are called, we are invited to become a place that expresses Jesus' desire for us and for those who come to Him. That expresses God's delight. A delight that is connected to sexuality in us. So that, can we be a place where if a person comes here with same-sex attraction... Can this be a place where they find not only a boundary? Not only a wall. While not denying the clear teaching of the Bible about marriage, while not denying the clear call of the Bible to celibacy for those who are not married, can we express to that person Christ's deep, desire for them. For the person who comes here and isn't married, 
but longs to be. Can we be a place where they are not relegated to B-team Christianity because they aren't married or they don't have kids? Can we be a place where they are welcomed as full members of a community that seeks to express God's delight in us to each other? For those who are married but are deeply disillusioned, Can we be a place that not only teaches God's vision for marriage, but can we be a place that is beginning, imperfectly, yes, but beginning to enact the beauty, the vision of Christ's marriage with his people and the joy of that and the pleasure of that and the delight of that and the intimacy and communion of that. G.K. Chesterton said, let your religion, your faith, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. May that be true of us. May that be true of us as we trust in God's boundary and delight in His beauty. Let's pray.